Welcome to Catholic Economics. I'm your host, Levi Russell, and today is September 30th, 2020. So today I have a real treat. I have uh, Isaac Miller uh, on the show. He wrote a piece for the inaugural issue of Social Justice Quarterly, the magazine of the Leonine Institute for Catholic Social Teaching. And I, I really enjoyed reading his article. And he, he covers an important issue in subsidiarity really well. And what I wanted to do with this conversation was just kind of uh, add a little bit of discussion to it. Or maybe um, if you if you can't find time to read the article, maybe you'll uh, maybe you'll get this discussion on your way to work or something. And then that will uh, motivate you to read the article anyway. So um, Isaac, I, uh, I, I guess by way of introduction, I, you're uh, you're a, uh, a guy who's really interested in Catholic social teaching, but your background is from uh, Protestantism. You were, uh, you have a master's degree in theology, if I'm right, and you, uh, are, you, you've studied Old Testament a lot. Yeah, my, uh, my master, I have a master of divinity from, it's a, just a small place called Harvest Bible University. But really the, the core of it was just a ton of biblical study. Um, one of the disciplines we were in was to read this read the scriptures through at least three times a year so um so we did a couple i've got i've got a bunch of them under my belt and um in addition to that my undergrad was middle eastern studies so that included ancient languages and Mm. um hebrew and aramaic and so on and so so i was really steeped in the old testament and i really i really found it fascinating from a from a typological standpoint and really what led me to convert was just when i dug so deeply into the um, into the typology of the Old Testament and, and the continuity between old and new. Right. Um, but, but that sort of led me into the Catholic, Catholic social teaching side of things where the, I, I didn't feel like there was any continuity or there wasn't a, really a worldview I could derive from sort of like a sola scriptura mindset. Yeah. Um, something that would be purely influential, um, be sort of the, the thing that infuses your idea of politics, your ideas of economics, all of these things. Right. And, but I did find this in, in the faith. And so when I, when I had really seen it, 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 it illuminates everything else. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like with Protestantism, there's, you know, the Protestant work ethic, but then beyond that, it's just like the, you know, the whole, this whole social teaching of Protestantism is just liberal, uh, you know, enlightenment liberalism, it seems like. Sure. It requires sort of a, it requires a really individualistic view. It doesn't, mm. it doesn't see man as both a social and an individual. Um, whereas the right. faith and, and the, the teaching that grew out of the medieval era, especially emphasizes both roles. It actually was more individualistic than the prior eras, but it was much more communal. And it, it highlighted the social aspect of man a lot more than our modern era. So right. it was a balance between these, these two sort of extremes. So in that vein, you know, this, this first issue, the theme of this first issue is subsidiarity. And the, the title of your piece, maybe uh, not such a great title by the editor, uh, we won't mention who the editor is, uh, Implementing Subsidiarity. And, and what I think you know, when people get, when they, they just first dive into this piece and they, they read the first couple paragraphs, um, I, th- I think there's a sense in which we, we can understand that the, 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 the so-called right-wing liberal 
worldview, right? The capitalist worldview. It's like, they don't even see the problem, right? They, they, they like some things like family and community. I mean, they, they at least will sort of pay lip service to these things that uh, definitely fit into this idea of subsidiarity. But then we have, you know, the left and, and the whole left calf phenomenon and everything like that. And it seems like they identify a lot of problems that exist, but they have really poor solutions. And so can you talk about that a little bit? And just like that, that whole idea of, of the left identifying these problems and then falling flat on their face when they come to, you know, trying to solve those problems. Well, sure. I, th- I think it's good to, to see that it's a good faith recognition by by left leftists and by by most leftists at least that um hey that there are these issues in society that you can't fix just by saying oh the market or uh, or appealing to some private organization or, or that sort of thing that really at some point it does require a more um you know a better a better organized legal or political structure to sort of encourage the sorts of things that your society is about um, you, you really have to have certain things to to ensure the common good of a people, and, and common good isn't it isn't as vague as people want to say it is. It's um, it's obviously something you have to hammer out in the particular context, but but it is a real thing. It's in the, it's in our, it's in all of our common good to have a, a national defense, like a competent military. Um, there's there's a lot of other examples of that, but but essentially the sort of the democratic socialist types they tend to recognize that you do have these issues with sort of late stage capitalism and everything. But what they don't do is they don't, they don't conceptualize society as something organic. And they, what they'll try to do is they'll try to solve things with managerial structures. So you, you know, you have a bad kidney, you will, what's it, it, putting someone on dialysis doesn't fix that. And that's what a lot of these managerial structures, the, the social programs and, and these sorts of things, they can become that. And the danger with UBI, even though they're a sort of a limited form of it, I think would be very, very uh, effective or something that is tied to the family in, in, in a really concrete way. These sorts of things could be really powerful, but they're not, they shouldn't be a primary fixture and you shouldn't tie them to individuals. And I think that's where the right, the right liberal sort of still sees everyone as an individual freely and, and associated, freely dissociated, meaning they just kind of float around and it's, it's almost like a, it's it's almost like a, a Newtonian concept of, of society, like this idea that everyone's just sort of an individual. And that's not true. We, we operate in, um, in not only as a whole, as a, as a one entity, as a country, but, but also in smaller subgroupings. And like a body, like a physical body, many of these subgroups are not under the direct control of the brain. Um, whereas you might think like a democratic socialist, a leftist, their solution is just to put everything under the control of the state. Mm-hmm. in some sense. And what that is, is that that's, that would be like your brain taking control of your liver. And it's, that's not, and it's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, and I was trying to, I was trying to think in terms of like, think in biological terms, what kind of neurological machinery would it take to control the minute functions of your liver, of your kidneys, of all the important things that go on, go on in your body. Um, it would make your brains, you know, I think you'd have to have like this massive head <laughs> that would control all of this stuff. Yeah. And, and so, so it just doesn't right. fit. It doesn't make the, and that's sort of what you see with, with modern societies. Either the state has sort of grown far beyond out of control. And this always is, is, is accompanied by a massive growth and dependence on if multinational corporations. Or on the other hand, if you want to go from the other end, um, you allow so much atomization, so much equalization of people in, in marketplaces that these large corporations gobble everything up 
and then the state sort of grows alongside them to sort of clean up some of the some of the more egregious problems. So either way, whichever one is leading, they're always connected at the hip. The growth of the state and the growth of 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 the massive multinational corporation that that wields far more influence than it should. These things are always connected at the hip. Right. So I want to I want to go back to something you said. So you mentioned the UBI, and and some some people might know what this is. And you mention it in your piece. Um, so the, the UBI is a universal basic income. And I think this is a, I think part of the reason why you, you put it in here is just because it's such a great example that kind of encapsulates how, uh, how, how the sort of uh, top-down left-wing approach works uh, when we think about these kinds of things. And so a UBI is this universal basic income. So there's, they're going to, we're going to get rid of all of the specific programs, or at least this is one version of it, right? We're going to get rid of all these programs that attempt to help people in certain ways, like uh, maybe WIC, you know, women, infants, and children, right? That's targeted at women, infants, and children, or food stamps. Uh, that's targeted just for food, right? And then we have uh, you know, the, the HUD, Department of HUD, right? Housing and Urban Development. That's just targeting, you know, housing stuff. We're just going to forget about all that stuff. We're just going to give everybody a certain amount of income every year, whether they work or not, no matter what. And we're just going to let, you know, some of those, some of these specific programs are going to get cut out. Some of them are going to stay or whatever. Um, but so what, what is your, I guess, what, what, what do you particularly have a problem with in terms of UBI? Like, I mean, you know, cause I, I could see someone from the, the, the liberal right saying, well, Hey, you know, this sounds like a really a more market-based approach, right? I mean, I can, I can, I can hear, um, you know, some of these people, uh, like the Niskanen center, right. Saying, Hey, Republicans should like this because it's market-based, right? We're going to get rid of all these specific programs and we're just going to let people have money and let them decide. So what, what do you, what do you, what, what about that violates this idea of subsidiarity or what about it violates kind of our uh, sort of community perspective? I think it, it, it would reinforce the relationship of all of the individuals in the state. And I think that okay. is the, I think that is one of the problems because it, it removes all of these intermediary organizations, which if you read any of the papal encyclicals, that's what they're really emphasizing is the importance of these. If you read uh, de Tocqueville, what he says about what made America so strong, especially in its early couple first couple of generations, was the presence of all of these sort of intermediary societies and organizations. And when those started to, to go away, when there was sort of a centralization and a control put place, um, when, when the conditions, you centralize, a, when you create a central bank, when you created all this, this huge grab of power that occurred in the progressive era, that started to eat away at those, in, those intermediary organizations. And when that happened, America changed. I, I like to tell people that hey, this is not the same country that it was for the first 70 years of its existence. And that seems like a truism. Oh, yeah, duh, obviously. But it's more true than you might realize that this is, um, we went from a country that had had the backing of all these meet in these small groupings of society and, and help and assistances and robust local life and all this. We went from that into something much more, much more dangerous because it left a huge void for, for, for capitalist and found entities for, for these huge, like the Ford foundation and so on. And for the government to actually step in and try to take over these aspects, which should be done by local society and, and the, and these sort of, um, they should be done by um, by the natural organization of, hu of human society. 
which always produces these sorts of societies. So considering that in light of UBI, what UBI does is it eliminates all of those things and it just, go, the money goes directly from the state to you and you pay taxes, which goes back to the state and the state gives it back to you. Right. <laughs> and, and, so, and so the only relationship that's fed by that structure are the individuals and the government. So when I say that it could be good if, if you sort of, if you made it contingent upon families or you just basically mm -hmm. provided these, these sorts of incentives by child, like, hung, like Hungary does. Um, right, right. If you did it that way, then, then what you're actually doing is you're feeding and, and supporting um, something more natural to society than just the individual. It's, it's, it's less like putting someone on dialysis for, for a kidney and extend, right. thinking you're solving the problem. And it's more like doing something that'll support the kidney to actually do its job. Right. The family has a job. The, the extended family has a job. Local community has a job. We are an organic entity, not just, you know, a big machine composed of two, two main divisions, state and people. Right, right. So I guess my, my thing about this is there's this idea of family and, and community, and we want to bolster those institutions. And I think one of the complaints that people would have. So, I mean, I, I guess, can you, can you help us understand why um, the, the right, the right wing liberal uh, capitalist types have a problem with using the state to support the family? Cause I, I feel like that's what you're saying, right? You're saying right. don't just give money to individuals as individuals, because then that, that makes them think of themselves purely as individuals, right? Mm -hmm. So why not, why not use policy in a way that bolsters that, that, that sort of provides financial aid to people when they need it, but does so in a way that, that bolsters the family. And I feel like there's a, there's a pushback against that on the left and the right. So I want to, I want to have you answer that here in just a second. But before that, uh, one of the main themes of this show is supporting Catholic businesses. And thanks to cabinrugs.com, you can do that while making your living room a more comfy place to be. Cabin rugs are manufactured right here in the U.S., which means they're helping to create jobs here at home and producing a high-quality product. Cabin rugs is home to the largest collection of cabin, Native American, and Mesa-inspired rugs online. They have rugs, runners, and even large area rugs. Join me in supporting this fantastic, fantastic Catholic business. Log on to cabinrugs.com to browse their collection today. So yeah, so what's what would you say to these two groups? I mean, if if we if there are two groups, maybe there are three, right? We, we, there's always this idea of the the third position, right? So maybe we're the third position, and you've got the left who want to centralize everything and create this individual versus uh, uh, you know individual tie to the government, and then you have the right capitalist types who, you know, they they just think well we shouldn't even we shouldn't bolster the family at all through policy. Right. I think there's a premise of neutrality that has to be dealt with, um, which the, the left, to their credit, notices this is a fraud, that it's not, just a, it's not just a neutral statement to say, well, let's just leave the law where it's at. Let's leave policy where it's at. Because we have for a very, very long time ordered our society, um, our policy, um, the way that the financial incentives are set up to attain certain goals as a society, as a community, as a state. That's always been the case, and it always will be, um, because because as a society grows, it has things it has to accomplish in at the state level or as a, as a as a group that it can't accomplish just by leaving people on their own to do it. And the premise of neutrality is that uh, if you are changing that system, you're proposing you know that's socialism. Well, 
Well, what you yeah. have, a, if, 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 if any sort of, you know, if any sort of uh, uh, achievement of the common good um, is, is considered socialism, then there has never been a non-socialist government in the history of man. Um, because they always, they all have a, as attaining some sort of um, betterment of the overall people as, as, as a group and as individuals, although, although there's, there's sometimes a cost for that. Um, and so what you have to do is say, well, what, what current incentives does the current structure give? And if you have a structure that was built or maintained for 50, 60 years ago, and the corporations have already figured it out. They know they've already leveraged all of their positions against it. They, they are, um, they're the ones who benefit from it. Then by changing it, you're, you're shifting these incentives to better achieve the goals that you have as a, as a society. And that's, and it's ultimately, that's ultimately what's going on. Now the proposed solution is where, where things get different for us and for, you know, and for, and for the left, obviously, because what they will always, always propose is some sort of direct or indirect um, redistribution um, to individuals that isn't, that isn't usually um, buttressed by anything except um, anything except your existence. And there's, there's also a, a, a subtle point in here that, that I've been actually been realizing lately is that when you tie UBI to an identity, it's almost like an indirect form of usury. Because usury, the fundamental problem with usury is that you're tying an obligation to a person rather than an asset. It's not, so it's not a thing. Um, you're making the obligation on them under the premise that it's actually, oh, well, I gave you this money, and now I expect this money and more back later. Um, right. the, the obligation isn't so much for the money. It's on you. They're, they're actually tying this to your identity. And so when you, when you, so when you tie this sort of money to uh, an identity, that means you can then leverage it for social or political obligations. That means you could, it, it becomes, it, it, it's just a dangerous thing to do. But it, it, you know, these sorts of things still exist out there. I mean, like there are tax incentives that, that are conditional and um, there are um, homeowning exemptions that are, that are out there at the state level. And um, so these things still exist and they can be done well. Um, but I think honestly, it's just, it's a question of, are you gonna have a rigorous debate about how better to arrange policy? to achieve a better end than, than what no management will produce. Cause no management is going to produce um, a lot of bad stuff. And there's more right. than enough evidence that in the encyclicals that the Pope saw that coming a mile away. Right. And so this, this idea of like, yeah, well, we'll, we'll just leave it to the wisdom of crowds or whatever, but it's like, well, there is no wisdom in a crowd. You know, we, <laughs> individuals have wisdom and that's it. Right. Sure. So I wanted to get to one last thing here. You, I, and I, I, I love that you chose this, little tweet thread as, as an example of um, kind of, I, I think it makes it really clear to us what, what, what's going on in the mind of some of these left-wing people. And it's that, uh, so, so there's that, uh, there's that one meme and I can't remember what it is, but it's like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's like this shot of like a, a rest stop near the interstate and it's just oh, yeah. all these signs you know mcdonald's and all these gas station signs and stuff and and people just make jokes about you know oh here here i am in late capitalism or whatever right, right. and it's it's so interesting because we're constantly treated to these phrases like late capitalism and blah 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 and just you know constantly whining about corporations and stuff but and i'm just going to read this real quick so this this uh, little interaction between uh, 
Matthew Iglesias, who's uh, one of the guys high up at Vox, uh, which is like a lefty uh, uh, magazine publication thing. And he says, uh, so his tweet is, it's not obvious to me that a structural transformation towards more chain restaurants would be a bad thing. And then he says he ducks and logs off like as if, as if that would be something that people would, uh, would not like, right. That they, that they really want to support a local business or they want to support, uh, sort of the variety that comes with local, local restaurants that are individually owned or whatever. And then he gets a reply from the follower that says, let big firms gobble up market share in exchange for unionization is my pipe dream for retail slash food service under a Biden administration. And then <laughs> Matthew Iglesias replies, yes, but shh, as if he's trying to get him to you know, be quiet or something. <laughs> so I, why did you choose that? I, I, I love that interaction because to me, it just encapsulates the 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 absolute disregard these people have for like the actual human beings that exist in in real world you know in whether it's in a suburb or a rural area or in a um you know in a city or something like that it's just it, it's all it just seems like all they care about is just um you know is just sort of their political power because for pete's sake i mean a union i mean we see this with the divide now there's there's all these union members uh, I had an article about it. I, I might have a hard time finding it again to, to share it in the show notes, but there was an article that said that all these union members are all breaking for Trump all over the place, all over the Midwest. And yet the union leaders are like openly saying, we can't figure out why they're so dumb and they can't, they can't get behind Biden. And it's like, that's what, that's all guys like, like, uh, you know, Iglesias like, it's like, we want to be the guys in charge of the unions trying to tell all these dumb rubes how to, you know, how to, how to, how to vote. So why did you choose that? And what, what, what did you, I guess, what do you think we should get from that conversation? Sure. Well, when you observe the left, there's, and what a lot of leftists might say is that Iglesias is more indicative of what they would call, quote, neoliberalism, unquote. Um, and what they'll, they'll say that, oh, well, he's left, but he's neoliberal left. He's not, the, he's not the same thing as sort of a socialist. Um, and, and maybe Iglesias himself would say something along the lines of, um, this is a compromise position, you know, rather than, you know, full luxury socialism or whatever they want to call it. Um, but what's interesting about the interaction is just that they see this in extremely, um, it's, it's like they're playing Dungeons and Dragons with policy. And they're just trying to like <laughs> maximize this, this, this number that they've created out of, out of nowhere. Right. Um, there was a piece, uh, I think Richard Greenhorn wrote, wrote one really recently about neoliberalism. It's it's this exaltation of some abstract idea that you can't really assail and it's not harmed by the human consequences of your bad policy. Hmm. Meaning if you have some ideal, some equality, someone's, someone's, so-and-so's rights, these, these sorts of abstracts mm -hmm. that if you accomplish them that, or if um, you know, your, your attempts to accomplish them actually harm the person that you're trying to help, it doesn't matter because the rights themselves have been amplified. The abstract has been upheld. Therefore, it doesn't matter what happened to the little people on, on, underneath. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's a sort of, a, I mean, you, you only get these sorts of takes from people who, who aren't touched by the, by the consequences, mm -hmm. who don't have skin in the game, who don't have, um, who, who really see these, who really see these things as, as just these floating disembodied abstracts and not real, you know, not like an organics, like, like the whole, like the whole article is designed to do is to say, think about things from a biological perspective. Right. Um, 
right. could if well is is it really a smart thing to do to replace your kidneys with some sort of like dialysis machine that you strap to your back yeah like do you think that's <laughs> right. a really good idea he said right. well they would say well does it do the same thing well, the sorts of risks the sorts of collateral damage right. the sorts of like all the maintenance you add like just mm-hmm. i don't know it's just it, there's so much there that that they that they just refuse to see um and, and what it, you know what, what it reminds me of is you know in 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 the world of economics, we we call this uh, the Nirvana fallacy, and uh, I think it was Harold Dimsetz who brought this up that just because you can dream up a a, a solution on on paper to fix this problem doesn't mean you know. So you so you've got you've got an existing uh, arrangement. And then you've got that, that, that you see problems with, right? And then the alternative is you've got this solution that you dreamed up that you wrote down on paper. Well, okay, the Nirvana fallacy says just because you can dream up an ideal solution on paper doesn't mean that when you implement it, it doesn't cause all these other problems, right? And so I, right. I almost think that maybe that's a way to talk to, um, you know, to talk to some of these people, these neoliberal people, or, or maybe even to talk to some of the right wing people is saying like, look, you know, family and community are parts of society and the state isn't this other thing that just happens to exist today as some kind of, you know, what do they call it? Like the, the stationary bandit, right? It's, mm-hmm. you're saying that just, just excising this thing, this thing called the state from society and just, and, and, and disjoining it from the family and the community um, is not going to, it, I mean, that's a Nirvana fallacy in itself, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like I, right. guess I feel like I'm trying to put it in economics terms, just because I guess that's the name of the podcast. So right, right. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, I don't think that we're gonna. It, the point also isn't to have some uh, idealistic uh, Shire existence because that's not going to happen. That's that's not where our world is anymore. Right. You, yeah. You 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 have the world is moving to bigger, powerful states, but that doesn't mean you can't have. That doesn't mean you can't be. I don't know. You adapt some of the ideas of Switzerland or those sorts of things, mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. have some of this local governments. And America has a history of this, which is why it's viable. America has a history of giving more power to its states, giving more discretion to its states. Right. And the the trend in the progressive era and after was to override that. It was basically to make it a, a giant federal state, um, which does not work without um, a lot of other things in place. And like America is just not designed, especially after the fifties, we're not designed to be sort of a homogenous national state. Right. Um, we're so, very so, good at the unity of states. So it's like re- reforming with the appropriate telos with the appropriate goals in mind and with the appropriate understanding of the mechanisms that that is not a LARP, right? That's not, that's not um, just pretending like we can go back to 1350 or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you draw from what is the identity of a nation? America still has sort of an identity that it's, that it's had, although it's changed quite a lot, it still has this sort of possibility of having vibrant local life and, vibrant local politics and state politics. Um, and right. we, we still have time to sort of, you know, resurrect those things. And I think the national government it, itself is becoming, it's made itself more irrelevant because of how badly it's, it's shown to deal with certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, like even healthcare, I mean, like whatever you, whatever you think, you know, is a solution in that case, they don't they they take things that are that are bad and they make them worse there's no there's no problem that's so bad that that a, that a federal right. state can't make it worse right and um and, and yeah. you should always think in those terms because because and it's usually just a political thing oh we have to do something you will your mm. solution to do nothing 
Well, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes right. not. Sometimes you do need to you do need to do something, but what you do should be informed by sort of the nature of the thing. You have to know what the actual problem is and not try to treat the symptoms. Yeah. And so, and to bring it back to subsidiarity, sometimes that's incentivizing uh, sort of civil, civil society institutions. Like, I mean, with, you know, on the case of healthcare, you know, we used to have, uh, you know, this, this vibrant sort of what they called lodge medicine. I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get into the whole Mason thing here, but I'm just saying, you know, there were, there were things like the Elks or uh, there were, uh, you know, regional based societies, there were profession based societies that provided healthcare. And, you know, the, and there are specific reasons why we don't have those anymore. And a lot of them are policy reasons. Mm-hmm. And if we would, if we could correct the policy, then maybe we'd have a chance at least bringing back some of those types of things. So certainly, yeah, it's, it's a, there are a lot of opportunities that we miss when, because, um, and I know that this is this also exists to some degree. I know, I wouldn't endorse them in, in other capacities, but I know that, the, that there's like a Shriners Hospital in like Galveston where right. they do a lot of really good work, and it's a lot of it is to use it. I don't know if this applies in medicine, but pro bono type stuff. Right. Um, and you and there are easy ways to incentivize that sort of thing. But but to, for that to happen, you have to be willing to restructure policy, and that's going to include some in you know some top down management, some not a ton, not everything. Um, but you can't avoid, you know, socialism. You know, it's not, it's not, and that's not what it is. Even, right. even, even healthcare, even universal healthcare, isn't necessarily socialism, quote unquote. Yeah, right. So what, what you're saying is you can't, you can't avoid this idea that there has to be some kind of management from the top, and it's just the question is whether that management from the top is working with the institutions at the lower level, or whether it's completely getting away from them and. And, and trying to atomize everybody. Right, right. It's, it's, it's a um, good policy. There's no, no policy is not a solution for bad policy. Good policy is the only thing that can solve that. Well, I think we'll leave it there. And uh, if, if anyone has uh, questions for, uh, for Isaac, I guess they can uh, direct them to me. Isaac, is there somewhere that they can find you online that uh, they could communicate with you? Um, not in any official capacity. I will, okay. I will soon sometime. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing more writing and it's, at some point I'll have some sort of online. Uh, it's, it's good for me to isolate at times. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what, what I'll do is when that comes back around, I will go back to the show notes for this uh, episode, both in the audio and on YouTube. And I will put that link at the very top. Uh, for everybody to grab a hold of. Otherwise, if they have questions, maybe I can maybe I can sort of facilitate a conversation if there's something really uh, just nagging you in your head and you want to talk to him. Um, but I believe Isaac is going to be writing for the next issue of the uh, Social Justice Quarterly. Is that right? That's right. All right. Awesome. Well, so thanks everybody for listening. I appreciate all of your interest. I appreciate you sharing the show. If you want to support directly, I have Patreon and Subscribestar links in the show notes. You can also support through Anchor. Um, you can also send me an email or you can talk to me on, um, Twitter or Facebook. Thanks for listening.